0: Hello, welcome to another episode from the Experiential Learning Dialogue Series, produced by the Teaching and Learning Centre, and recorded live from Burnaby Mountain at Simon Fraser University. I think that's a characteristic of a lot of the
1: experiential courses. Yeah, very much so. You know, it in the same way that a uh, lecture-based programs, course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very fair.
2: Yeah, I'm interested in your um, being earlier in the in the program than say the course that we're teaching. Like my experience is, students at the fourth year level are all of a sudden they're really genuinely interested in like how am I going to apply what I've learned, and so it's easier to sort of frame it in that way for them, even though it's scary for them to have to sort of take the autonomy and actually mm-hmm. do a project rather than just being told what to do. Um, they're 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 kind of more prep for that in terms of. I have to do this next year anyway, so I might as well do it in a, so I, I relate that it must be kind of challenging when they're earlier on. It's 200 so.
0: level costs for sure, yeah. and it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think Jen said it perfectly, everybody thinks they know all about teams. Yeah. But when you're forced into a situation to deal with a larger group, then mm-hmm. that whole piece of collaboration becomes really important. Yeah. Because when we get to the fourth or third level, we want them to be really way more mm-hmm. competent.
2: Yeah.
0: We'll us go do it now.
2: Yeah. And I think it's great to do it earlier because the students. A lot of the feedback that I got was, you know, students are saying, "I wish that I had done this earlier in my program because, you know, these are, exactly. would be relevant mm-hmm. for other programs." So,
3: well, just to, to follow up, is that uh, this, this resistance to change or to explore new avenue that would involve personal values and things like that? Is that part of the, the main critique? When you say the evaluation or low, was that what comes out mainly is this resistance to, to change? I, I, I would say yes to that, okay. but
0: I'm not sure the students understand that connection. Okay. Because again, there's an assumption they know what teamwork is. Mm-hmm. So okay. why the hell are we even here? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a bit of a resistance to overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned
1: something about um, expectations and the difference between the students' expectations and what actually happens, mm-hmm. and where when those aren't aligned. The students get very bad course evaluations and, and uh, instructor
0: evaluations. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Well, I'll um, I don't think the students really understand what the course is about because collaboration is a bit of an amorphous subject yeah, in some ways. Yeah, yeah. So, what we tried to start doing this semester was to say, this is where collaboration fits, and this is our expectations of what collaboration is. And by the way, we might say teamwork's below collaboration, so kind of one step above. <laughs> and so they have an expectation again, we know this stuff. Why do we have to do this stuff? And then they start getting into the, into the middle of it and they start to push back on things like reflections. Why are we doing this? Because that's, that's a different kind of cognitive process. We're trying to take them to a different place. And it's a shift. It's actually the shift you just said, which is, look, we don't want you just to give us back the answers. We want you to go mm-hmm. find the answers and go do it. Mm-hmm. And the best way you're going to do it, because we've got really complex problems we're facing, <laughs> is you need a group of people who can collaborate together in a pretty unique way. So, you know, the expectations are uncertain and our expectations are up here mm-hmm. for the student, I think. Does that answer the question? I'm not sure.
1: Um, yeah, I also was thinking uh, it, it does. I think there's a, a variety of aspects to expectations. So one of the things I'm thinking of is how the BD experience is marketed. Uh, so when students are coming in, um, say, uh, I mean, you, you and, and Shawna, and I have yeah. spoken with, with David as well about uh, BD, uh, moving towards an experiential model of, of learning right. and how how that might match up with what students are actually getting in the program like say five years from now how would you how would you market this to students coming into the program so that they know that they're going to be uncomfortable and, and have unpleasant experiences through their through their but learning this really
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I'll learn something well, I'm actually tell a little side story. So my, uh, my, my son's partner teaches at university and uh, she does inquiry based learning and, uh, and their students are unbelievable and they work in collaboration all the time. So to tell you the truth, I'm hoping in five or eight years, we won't even teach the course because the students are coming pre-armed. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. But it's probably like, the
0: greatest resistance for everybody, it doesn't matter where you're don't care if you're here or outside, is that people really struggle giving honest and, and, and truthful mm-hmm. feedback, right, because we have fears about that. It's one of the biggest things they have to overcome is begin to understand that I can actually have a judgment of ellen or Jen, and it's okay for me to have a judgment as long as I don't accuse LN of blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know a way to do it which is really effective so we can all learn to grow and so on. And that's kind of the rub, okay, that's the hard part to, to get the students to, and to learn that in a collaborative environment with 15 people, it's okay to say, hey, I've, I've got this thought, I've got this idea, and I really want to express it, because often we cut ourselves off. Right, mm-hmm. and the dominant ones dominate and we, we need the ideas from everyone to be really successful.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Okay, um, I just had a question about forming the groups because you were talking about having well, like, um, the yeah. us and them and yeah. I always wonder like if I should randomly assign mm-hmm. or if I should try to figure out different personality types or if I should let them choose yeah. their friends and yeah. yeah just what the process is for... So, so first I'll tell you, this
0: guy... Consultant has really okay. been very helpful in our course. What we used to do is get really sophisticated, and we'd take all the MVS scores and we'd use the MVS scores to delete right. them or to sort them. And all we do now is go male, female, how long have you lived in Canada, and um, I think the, oh, what are your, of the three uh, product groups? What would be your number one, two, and three ranking? Okay. And then that's all we use that, and just put them together and see what happens. Right. Because when you get into a group of fifteen, mm-hmm. randomization works just as well as exactly. trying to be somehow yeah. skillful about this. But I think there is merit in creating blending in groups of this size. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Mm-hmm. I don't know how the program runs. Do they have like a practicum or, or a, an, an internship to do at some point during well, the? I'm going to say,
0: Ellen, the, the internship is actually going through the product of selling this product in the bookstore. That's, that is is the internship. Okay, so.
3: but in the working place. Like if, like do you mean out, like BD yeah, as a whole for during their undergrad the degree? program? Do they oh, have they, an
5: internship? Yeah, they yeah, don't they do. have to. Okay. But,
3: the, but about 50% of our students are in co-op. so. Oh, oh, they're co-op. That's yeah. exactly. I was wondering right. that because the, the aspect of team and collaborative work and all that, if they have ever access to... An internship. Well, it would be obvious that that would be uh, such an important course. So that's why I'm surprised that the evaluation was That means that yeah. it's early on. Yeah. They haven't had any uh, internship yet or because this is so important. And, and, and I'm, I in fact,
0: I think this course, in fact, is in a small way an internship. Oh, so and, and that's we've right, never that's consciously right. said that but that's you right, say but that. It, but
3: if they <laughs> see it as theoretical and, and just a course, like they're not going to see how important it is if they, if they haven't been in a workplace yet.
0: It does help to be in a workplace. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
6: <laughs> so, yeah, related to that, we had some other, stu- our, our students had some other struggles about the project. One of them was um, the commitment on the project. Because we are still, even though we are transferred, we are 200 rebel students. So we are still uh, have to do a lot of essays, (laughs) you know, other presentation researches. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, there is a group that was assigned with, yeah, they were assigned with the group products. And there is a group assigned with the decal, which is uh, basically a sticker of the B D. Back up to logo on it, and they have to sell it in I don't know four dollars or something.
5: The groups did not get to take their products. Right,
6: yeah, oh, so they were signed their product. products. They were really sticker. Yeah, I have to say it because they were really uh-huh. frustrated about them, and I believe that group will have a lot of conflicts within the group, mm-hmm. between the test team, and even my group had it. For example, okay. my group, my test team, had to do this customer survey, all two weeks. And we found that the accounting team is doing nothing but recording their sales, so it's kind of an emotional conflict between even within the group. Okay. So that is another challenge. And
0: and and we actually talk about the need the need to have productive conflict. I know. You you need to know how to do that because it's really important.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) I'm curious about how your um, markings are weighted in terms of Mm -hmm. how much of it is weighted on the 60% group. 60%
0: 60% group and 40% individual.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: So yeah. there's this whole series of group assignments that they have to do mm-hmm. um, that uh, are f- fairly wide-ranging. So as an example by the pitch that uh, was mentioned earlier, the very beginning of the semester, this is a panel that will say to you, no, you can't go, you're not ready, you're not going to get any money. <laughs> so it becomes pretty visceral for them as well, too. Yeah. And that's part of a group piece as well, too. Right. So yeah. there are f- there'll be next week, there'll be um, s- is it six people or three people to prepare a um, group, um,
5: three at
2: least three presenters. Per
0: at least three presenters, and, and they're representing stitches. their entire group. So their entire group actually has to work together to support them to help them be successful as well. Too, right.
2: and then that affects the mark. Um, and that affects the mark. And
0: ultimately, it's only the group mark uh, that's scored. You know, what was your contribution? Oh, you only did eighty percent. Then it's eighty percent or sixty percent is going to be your mark at the end of the
4: semester. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. Which is going to be really interesting.
2: Yeah.
5: <laughs> And this is our first time through with 15 because previously it was five. So uh, we were originally thinking of keeping the group smaller, but because we have 180 students, the bookstore wasn't, I mean, we couldn't have them do 28 products or something like that. So um, it definitely adds a layer of complexity and challenge between the the members of Mm -hmm. how how do they navigate between Mm -hmm. all these people. But it's interesting. Which which is extremely important.
0: So the DECL group, which is a really interesting group, I've got a group too that uh, they feel terrible about their, their product, but now you have choice. So what do you feel terrible about can you can you pivot? Can you change? Can you do other kinds of things? Which some of the students aren't getting, but we think actually the Deco group might be starting to get it. They actually it's have really interesting. some really great But very late days. in the semester. They're starting yes. to go wait a minute. Mm-hmm.
5: <laughs> yeah. They did. They really struggled and, and you know, but they they've come together and they did some really cool things and they're feeling good about what they've done now. They've really seen, seen that switch, so
7: audience uh, questions So I guess first thing I'd say is uh, just thanks to everyone that's talked here today already. It's been really useful and, and interesting to me for sure. And congratulations on the work that you're doing. Um, and I think I'd, I'd just comment on a, a thread that I think runs through all of this as well. Um, a few years ago when I was kind of interviewing to come here to SFU. I had an undergraduate student ask me uh, as part of that process, you know, what do you think makes for a good instructor? And still my instinctive reaction was to turn around and say, well, what do you think makes for a good instructor? And uh, the student said, well, you need to inspire us. And I don't know why, but I was surprised at the time to hear that answer. Uh, and it really uh, affected me This and stuck with me. And I think uh, the thread that runs through all of this is sort of a threat of risk. And that in doing these things that you're doing, there's risk around evaluations. There's risk day to day in things kind of getting out of control in the situation and having to improvise and find a way back to it. Uh, But I think uh, just in seeing uh, instructors willing to take those kinds of risks, there's an inspiration that happens. So I think there's another threat, and I think there's another benefit to all of this, just uh, in terms of inspiring the students that we have.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, one of the uh, questions I have, I guess, mostly for um, um, Alisa and, and Jenny, actually, is around community burnout or the idea of uh, the people that you're partnering with um, have a huge workload. So, in you know, in the health promotion team actually has to spend time supporting students and the bookstore has to spend time supporting the students and I think in your case the I guess the child care center would need to um, be supporting students as well but at different levels for each course and i wondering if you have any comments about like how heavy you lean on those partners to support your students and, and in some case to well in your case to evaluate your students even. Mm-hmm.
4: I can, yeah, so um, I mentioned that we started in a elementary school in Coquitlam and it was the principal that had originally met with um, Kitty that made that formation and then because of the nature of um, school districts principals get moved right to different schools and they don't really have uh, control over that so she actually got moved to a middle school so then we went with her to the middle school Um, but then um, you know because life happens and we had been there for five or six terms and um, yeah at one point you know she just said you know I, I can't do it this term and we haven't been able to re-establish that connection so now we're in this new school in Burnaby and one of the things that um, we talk about a lot is just the the need for that champion and how to make it sustainable and I don't think we've totally figured it out yet but um, you know with having health and counseling that's a hopefully sustainable um, partnership but it's yeah you really need to have Um, somebody, a point person in the community that's willing to engage because it is a lot of effort on their part. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I don't know what else you can say as the community. Yeah, from
2: my perspective it was interesting um, when I was teaching, I did a lot of, I I did those hours of preparing projects that a community partner would usually do outside my work time in my role as the instructor. So that made it a lot easier to develop really valuable projects for the students without putting an extra burden on, on our team as health promotion because I was doing it in my role as the instructor because it was sort of blended. I, I was doing both, right? So um, this um, we didn't actually mention this term, Jenny's teaching the course but the students are doing their volunteer work with health and counselling so that's a bit different in terms of, you know, there was a shift there in terms of, you know, I couldn't spend as much time planning the projects and stuff because uh, it, it is, in some ways, the value add is more so for the students than for us, although we do get a benefit from it. Um, I would say more of the, the, the benefit of, of that time spent in terms of preparing the projects goes more to the, the students, um, so I had to, we had to sort of shift it a little bit in terms of having the students are, are more um, self-directed this term in terms of um, they have, they're have they creating their own projects, which has had um, benefits as well, and so we'll mm-hmm. have to touch base. But I think doing it once a year, um, we'll probably be able to go back to the model of um, us creating the projects. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is definitely... Um, tricky, I would say, in terms of uh, finding projects that are sustainably, because Mm -hmm. the thing is, this year, for example, some of the students are doing projects that, uh, for example, we have a project that's around, like, random acts of kindness, and so that's about creating a positive and supportive community, which is good for a healthy campus community. Um, And and some of them are doing things that students have done in the past, um, so it's still valuable in terms of the students that experience those random acts of kindness. but it's, it's, it's more valuable for the students in terms of creating it mm-hmm. than it necessarily is an extra value add for us, so.
4: Yeah, and I'll just say one more thing about the new partnership that we have in Burnaby. So as I mentioned, it's a high school with two partner elementary schools. And already, like, we just confirmed last week that we would be in there, and we're going to start in January. And the reason why is because the principal at the high school thinks that she might be moved next year. And so she wants to get the program going so that the new principal will be able to pick it up. And we're hoping that because it's the three schools it will be more sustainable because, you know, we won't be asking the same teachers all the time to be matched with a student. We'll have, you know, however many teachers from all three places. Um, and they already have this sort of community of f- our family kind of network within their schools. So they have lots of ideas about how we can help them. So. Um, they're yeah, I think it's going to be a huge added value for them to have the students, um, yeah, so hopefully it works out that it yeah is sustainable over time but
0: do you have well, the thing I add is I worry about it, uh-huh. but not now
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the uh, in the case of um, connection with the community and uh, environmental education—it went in the past uh, 20 years from only being um, supported by teacher, but there's less of this issue now because once they come out of uh, 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 this program of experiential learning and they know how it, the impact on it's going to have on the student, they are not anymore alone. There's an, there's another layer of or like it's not individually support or grassroots support anymore there are like lutet farm it's a network of people that are not going to change like there's not anymore just once a teacher retire well the whole Mm -hmm. school lose their garden or initiative it's it's gone to another level for this part of uh, of integrating environmental education in uh, their practice in an in a experiential way, so so that part is nice. That's really positive to see that there's a lot of support out there in the community. Um, it remains that I would say that at the PDP level, um, although experiential learning is a big uh, part of the the process there. Uh, The choice of of keeping it active is is always a negotiation every year, so it's not like obvious that uh, it's going to stay for the next uh, 10 years. So it's more at what is part of the teacher training program that is more of a a question than how once they get this experience, how they implement it in their own school. I would just add
5: one thing for us, too, is that I think that's why my role was created, too. I'm a buffer between the bookstore and Mm -hmm. our class. So we're kind of trying to create ways to um, bring them in and allow students to gain from everything that they can share, but then at the same time, when they're not in the class, on the occasions when they come in, to have things filtered through me so that we – it's our first semester, but hopefully we don't burn them out because they are really – very important. We don't have this without them.
0: That concludes this audio episode of the Teaching and Learning Center's recording of the Experiential Learning Dialogue series. Listen to other episodes from these events, or visit our website at
1: sfu.ca/tlc.